0: This is episode number 238, What Makes a Good Question, with Casey Berman and Scott Mason. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming conversation this Friday which takes place at 10:45 a.m. central time and is part of our weekly conversation or a weekly series called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. In fact, the conversation that you're going to hear is a replay of the conversation that we've had in the previous weeks that revolve around the similar topics that you're about to hear and that is the connection between gratitude and grief, gratitude and resilience, gratitude and relationships gratitude, and one's potentials, and many other topics. If this is something of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details about where and when the next conversation will be taking place. The second announcement that I wanted to make is this. If this show or if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website or leaving a review through iTunes, Facebook, or Google, so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. I was just thinking about that. That's probably the best way to introduce it now, considering that we're literally hosting this every single Friday, right? Is it, I feel like the two of you have transformed from the guest role, right?
1: <laughs> Is this a promotion? <laughs> Am I getting more money? Is Melody? That is a
0: good question. (laughs) It it
1: is, and here's a good question: Is that my girl, Melody, in the house?
0: (laughs) That is so awesome. Melody has joined us here Uh, from Massachusetts.
2: I got to look at my contract, Scott. What what are the terms in there?
1: Well, thank God you're out of the law. (laughs) 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 You've left law behind.
2: (laughs) I've left it. Uh, no, like it's great. Great to be here. This is like a, a little oasis in the week and uh, honored to be here. It's always, always look forward to it.
0: No, thank you. Thank you both for being a part of this and Melody and everyone else that chooses to tune in. You know, today's topic and question of what makes a good question is in itself, I think, a probably a good question to ask. But I know that the three of us how we interact and how we choose to ask some of these deeper questions. I figured it was a worthwhile conversation having because a, it's going to allow me to better understand what is a good question to begin with. And I I figured that we have two former lawyers in the, in the room here. The best way to approach this is actually define what does it mean to be good? What is good, (laughs) right? What is a good question? Is it one that is able to transform one's life? Is it one that is able to shift the other person's perspective? Or is there something beyond that? So let's start off there. Whichever one of you wants to take the first crack at this, but how do you personally define a good question? What does that mean to you?
1: I'll, I'll spin, you, I throw out a wheel. question. Okay. Yes, I will throw out a question to Casey about this. And Casey, maybe you'll get to do some explanation if you agree with the with what I'm about to say. Should a question ideally be a direct exam or a cross? <laughs> what I do it. I mean? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, no, it's it's a great. It's a great point. And I think, you know, when you think about um, direct and cross, whether it's it's your witness or the other witness, right? So I guess it, you know, how I was thinking of this is more along the lines of um, what you're trying to get out of the question. And when you look at your direct uh, witness, a direct question, you kind of have an idea what you want out of it. Um, and and you want to prove it so other people can hear it. When you have cross, it's a little little harder. It's not your witness, right? And you're trying to you you have an idea of what you want out of it. You're not you can't practice because you didn't meet the witness before and you can't you can't practice, right? So for me, that is kind of the layer of having a question with an answer in mind. And where I've looked at two things, I'll unpack it in two ways: is one wanting asking a question or being asked a question where you need the answer. And because, Hey, are we meeting, are, are we meeting a one or two? Are we going to do this? What did you do with the gun? Where were you at 8 PM on such and such night? Right? Like you, you need to get an answer to it. And we all need to ask those questions to, to move forward. And those can be good questions. I think there, there's a, a higher level question that I wanted to introduce and you guys can let me know if this duality aligns with you or we can, we can break it apart, which is that idea of a question that doesn't necessarily beg other questions and keep you going down that route, even though it could, but it's more of that question when you don't have an answer in mind. And Mm -hmm. it's more of that question that says, huh, I hadn't thought of it. So as you know, I help attorneys leave the law and they'll be going down a path with answers. Well, I want to do this, and then I want to go into this job, and I want to do that. And some of the good questions I've been able to ask them, for example, are, hold on. What is the fear here? What are you really afraid of? And they'll pause. And they'll think. And sometimes they can answer it, and sometimes they can't. And sometimes when they can answer what their fear is, i.e., e.g., I don't want to disappoint my mother, you go, okay. Now I see where this is going. Let's mm-hmm. just stare this fear or obstacle blocker. So I sort of look at a, what makes a good question. I think it helps you move forward. Okay, great. We have the answer. Let's move forward. I think also a good question helps you see things that you otherwise weren't seeing and and makes you kind of course correct in your life. So
0: mm.
1: I can't help but think about one of our favorite guests on these shows, Miss Nancy John, (laughs) who had the famous phrase that has echoed through the halls of Facebook and LinkedIn live fandom and fame for weeks now. And that is, is a relationship Mm -hmm. transformational or transactional Mm -hmm. and hearing your answer, Casey and thinking about Nancy, John, and thinking about the what I suspect is the true meaning behind your question, Oleg, I wonder, too, whether questions can be similarly categorized into the transactional versus mm. the transformational. The transactional is where I have an answer in mind. I want That's you to great. say yes, or I want to get a discrete piece of information. Is this podcast on at 11.30 or is it on it. at noon? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a transactional question. Or did you or did you not kill that person? Mm-hmm. Were you in that room? Yeah. A a, transa- a transformational one is to me one in which uh, thought is triggered, but without an indirection that is predetermined by yeah. the questioner. However... I mm-hmm. will throw one other thing out here. I like that. And that is a fundamental rule of power dynamics that many people often forget, and I personally love it when they do, is that the individual asking a question mm-hmm. is the individual who has power in the conversation conversation. And so by asking a transformational question, you are also having a power, you're instigating a power dynamic, but you're also, you might not be leading the answer, but you are creating a force in the universe. You are exercising power in that your question is the agency for change that may result as a result of that transformational answer.
0: Wow. Wow. I never thought about it that way, but it it makes sense as far as having or being in that position. And, you know, I have oftentimes look at people who moderate and facilitate some of the conversations, (laughs) looking at them through the same exact lens. But I can't say I've ever approached it through just what you just described, Scott. And that's looking at it through that component, that there is a level of power and authority that gets – inserted into the conversation, whether or not it's one that's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's not even acknowledged. It's something that's maybe just,
1: it happens the way it happens, right? I think so. I think sometimes also ego needs can blind us as to the full spectrum of Interplays that are occurring during a conversation. Mm -hmm. Ego can drive people to express their feelings, their opinions, their expertise on particular facts. It can cause them to talk. And it can be easy for us to forget because talking itself, particularly if you're talking over someone or talking down to someone can Mm -hmm. give the illusion of having a certain level of power. And sometimes it can be a reflection of a certain level of power, right? Like in his waning days, Hitler would assert his power by having these dinner parties Mm -hmm. and he would talk and talk and talk insufferably for hours and his, minions who by the way deserved every bit of suffering that they got had to suffer through this for hours and hours and hours and they all all apparently thought he was a lunatic it was boring he didn't know what he was talking about half the time but his way of asserting power was to talk 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 that being said no one dared to interject and ask a question
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm
1: melody by the way i see that you say that there's no such thing right there are these posters saying there's no such thing as a stupid question i actually agree and people that are willing to throw their ego aside i would argue and ask those questions that are stupid actually end up in a transformationally changed place within the power dynamics of a relationship yeah do you all agree though?
0: I do. I had, I had a similar uh, a story that I'll share with the two of you. I might have shared this before, but I was in ninth grade going into <laughs> introduction to literature course with a teacher named Judith DeWaskin at um, Community High School. And I remember prior to that for many, many years thinking that there was this this concept of a stupid question. And what that actually did was that it prevented me from asking questions in general. And, and partially, I, I think in thinking that there were such things as stupid questions, I was constantly judging myself and setting these expectations for asking a quality question or asking a question that other people wanted to know an answer to when the reality of the matter was it was so difficult to be able to get to that point. And understand that not everyone wants to know the same thing that you want to know. The three of us are in the room, Melody and whoever else that's listening right now, we have different questions when it comes to life. Because we're all going through different set of circumstances at this given minute. And in that moment, I remember my ninth grade teacher, Judith, she stood up in the middle of class. And I don't know what prompted her to do this, but she stood up in the middle and she said, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I kid you not, in that moment, it was like one of those light bulb moments that happened for me where it gave me the courage and the confidence to ask questions. And 17 years later, however many years later, I'm asking questions. But had it not been for moments like that, that helped me realize that there truly is no such thing as a stupid question, because a question may appear stupid to me, but to you, it might appear to be the most transformative question you've ever been asked, So it's also a matter of perspective at that point, I think.
1: Well, is it true really that there's no such thing as a stupid question? For instance, if I'm your boss and Mm -hmm. I've told you 10 times to please make sure that the box on that piece of paper
0: Mm -hmm. is
1: painted sunflower yellow and I give you a paint box that says sunflower yellow, and 10 times later, you're asking me, what color do I paint the inside of that box? Tenth time. Is that just stupid? <laughs> I
2: I was going to say, if the answer is there, particularly transactionally, I like how you broke that out, Scott. It It shows a sign of disrespect or you're not listening or you're focused elsewhere. I think there are questions. Maybe they're not stupid, but they've been clearly answered. Mm-hmm. And we can move on and you're wasting people's lives, uh, wasting, wasting their time. So there are those moments. And I, I would call them stupid for lack of a better word. But hey, we gave you the answer, right? I would say beyond that, the so at that work, at the sign at work, there probably are some stupid questions by em- employees or people who aren't paying attention. Or it could be your boss who's not listening and saying, tell me that again. And if you say that over and over, it's like, wait, you didn't read what I sent you. Come on, take some time. Let's do this. But I do think that when it comes to a question overall, uh, and I have you know my children ask questions all the time. What what I love about asking questions, particularly why and why and why, it gets annoying. But I've learned uh, two things as I'm as I'm 47 years old, which is one, life when you get to answers, it's like peeling back the onion. The layers of the onion. We've heard that that imagery, and it really is true. And you're not going to get to the middle of the onion. You just keep you just keep going. You just keep going, mm-hmm. and it's annoying. Why? Well, why that? Why that? But I tell you, when you think about, well, I'm afraid of something, or I really want to do something. Tell me more. Why? It can really get to the issue, kind of subconsciously, of why you want to do something or why you want to don't why you don't do something. So I think a simple short question of, of why um, it shows how there's no stupid question. If you can kind of, you can kind of really keep asking it. I think the, the other thing is that we all um, I'm coming from, I just learned this thing called the Shoshin method. It's, it's Japanese, which is the beginner's attitude. And, you know, experts can actually be, it can be uh, anti-beneficial, if you will, sometimes to be an expert somewhere, because you know, everything. Mm -hmm. And we're teaching. And sometimes it's great to be the smartest person in the room. And sometimes you need to be the smartest person in the room to help people. Right. And have all the answers. But I think for me, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in trouble um, because I'm going to believe all my own BS and I'm not going to really ask the right questions. And I may not kind of explore beyond the matrix that I want. So I think there, there can be stupid questions when it comes transactionally, but there really isn't because one, it really helps you as you keep asking this kind of deep dive into what's driving your behaviors. And two, if you can kind of shed what expertise you have, it's almost like the excitement of being a kid
0: again can, can come back into your life. How do you know that? I've been curious about that for quite some time. How do you know if you're the smartest person in the room? Is that purely the ego that's that's speaking at that point? Or is there something else beyond that? Now, it's okay to be the smartest person in the room because
2: people need guidance from you and they need you a leadership. In many ways, you'd be shirking your duties if you didn't share what you had. Right. And, And people need that. So there there are instances where it is. Where you need to be at, whether because they're younger, they're less experienced, they're paying you for it, that's why they're bringing you in, That that's what what you're there for. But I think from from my perspective as a person, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I don't go running out of the room right away, but you also go, okay, uh, how am I going to learn from this? Mm-hmm how am I going to, to learn? Even if I'm advising, how am I going to learn from it? I think when I'm not the smartest person in the room optically on the surface, my ego will, will get hit by that. How do I look smart? How do I be big? Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm at a point where I still get hit with that, but now it's just less so. I think I flipped that my perspective to not how do I look big, but rather what can I take away. From this, I mean, you know, we only there's that quote we only see so far because we stand on the shoulders of giants like here are some giants in the room with me. How do I how do I really
0: uh, leverage it? Mm -hmm. Scott, do you ever feel that way?
1: Actually, no. But I think that that goes as to a point Melody just made. There are times in which I feel that I might be the person that has the most subject matter expertise or the most information on -hmm. a topic. That's a more diplomatic way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. But I do want to distinguish that from being the smartest person because that's. Please do, yeah. And, and there's a couple of reasons, and I because I believe that the way to be most effective in these conversations is to be honest and to be candid and to share stories. A big part of, and Casey and Oleg, you both know this, a big part of my personal narrative has been around, particularly in professional situations, a lot being made by supervisors and coworkers or teachers that I've had about my lack of intellectual ability. So I've never, the beauty of that has been that my ego personally, at least as I analyze it, has never been vested in being smart. I've been accused of being not smart so often. I'm like, okay, fuck it. Excuse me. Screw it. That's fine. I don't need to care about that. That has liberated me. Yeah. What I can say is I might not be the smartest person about anything, Mm -hmm. but I'm smart, but my skills aren't there anyway. I can express myself. I can have a good time. I can lead people and people will follow. I can be a whole host of other things. I don't have to be, and I'm constantly learning because of that. I'm in awe of people's intelligence all the time. Even people that I've been told by others, oh, so-and-so, they're a moron. I've discovered intellectual abilities, more pieces of information or capacity or creativity that they've had that are mind-blowing. So that's the answer. I have a very strong feelings about that. Perhaps the strength of the feelings is because it it never hurts to hear publicly. And over and over again, which has again been a theme in my life about this la- this particular alleged lack of ability that I have. Now I don't want to make it unclear. I don't. I'm not running around with self esteem issues around my in- you know my intellect either. I don't think that I'm a moron, but I'm not particularly vested in it. It puts me in a position yeah. where I'm always asking questions because I'm always assuming the other person's smarter, and I've learned so much because of that. It's one of my favorite qualities about myself, if I might.
2: Mm -hmm. that's a great point
1: I want to take a slight slightly different turn so
0: when we talk about questions one of the things that I, I think I might have talked to the two of you and whoever else that's tuning in right now it's this concept of questioning being a form of procrastination so asking questions the more the why within the why the why within that why do either of you believe that there's a connection just based on your own personal experience lived experience that you've had throughout your life where questioning as beneficial as it was, it truly wasn't helping you get forward Mm -hmm. with whatever it is that you envisioned? So do you believe that there's a connection between questioning and procrastination? That is the question.
2: Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, Sure, without a doubt. Procrastination is Mm self-sabotage. Procrastination is the ego, if you will, jumping in when you're looking to make a transformational change. So procrastination is not putting your shoes out at night so that you don't jog in the morning. Procrastination is not signing up for the, the healthy food delivery service, even though you know it'll help you lose weight and make you eat better and so on. Procrastination is not writing the blog post, not starting the podcast and, and all of that. And it's a fear, it's the idea of, oh, don't start that podcast. Who wants to hear from you anyway? Uh, you know, it's the fear of rejection. It's also the fear of success. This might actually happen. And if I become a successful podcaster, well, it's not familiar with me. It's a fear of the unknown. So procrastination protects you from the fear of the unknown. So asking, there's many ways to procrastinate. And one of them One vehicle could be questions and just Mm -hmm. analysis paralysis. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. but in that sense, it's not the question. The question is just the tool. It's not the question that's necessarily bad, if you will. It's the fear that is driving the self-sabotage, the procrastination. And one of the tools this person is using to stay stuck is asking a bunch of questions.
0: Mm Right? Right. Do you ever fear of being successful, Casey? Of course.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've played small. I'm still playing small. I think that <laughs> I've, I've talked with the two of you about, you know, it's time for me to to start playing bigger. And not bigger in a conceited way, but bigger in just not being afraid of things, just doing things, taking things on. Um Obviously, saying no sometimes not getting overwhelmed with things, but but taking things on and really stepping into into who I am. You know, I have an idea of, well, Casey's this or he's that. People don't view me that way. Who knows how they view me? But 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 playing a lot bigger in a beneficial way to help people to add to add value and and so on to become more entrepreneurial to write that blog post to to do all of that. Um, and so for me, I've I've definitely. I've definitely gone down that route of, of asking a ton of questions, which um, keeps me, might, might seem like I'm doing the
0: analysis, but totally keeps mm-hmm. me stuck. Does the other people, do the other people's perspectives, and I'll shift the 20 questions I just got after this, but <laughs> do, no, the, do, the, do the other people's perspectives and views of you matter to you? And if so, to what degree? So their views of me are my views of their
2: views of me. So what I mean by that is when I look, it, it's projections. So if I'm looking at uh, my kids, my wife, uh, a client, uh, whoever, what I'm doing is they are a tabla, tabla rasa, right? They're a blank slate. They're a, a neutral a neutral thing. My, my, I had a professor in law school who said that, you know, this type of law was like uh, tofu, where whatever sauce you give the tofu, the tofu tastes that way, and that's how we should interpret this civil procedure regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get the regulation, but I still use the the imagery that he used. But I mean, you think about it: if everyone that we look at is kind of like tofu, well, I am projecting a sauce onto them, and then having that sauce projected back at me. So, for example, if I'm looking at a client. Who writes an email in a way, who knows how I interpret it, but like, oh, darn it. I messed up on this one. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm projecting Casey messed up on this one to client. And then just having client shoot it back at me. And then I say, see, I messed up on this one. He doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. When really, I did it. He might have just, you know, who knows, maybe his 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 kid was crying and he just wrote a real short email because he had to run who knows? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if he does think I'm not good at task ABC, okay. Like, okay. What am I going to do? Die? Right. Why, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? I'm afraid this person is mad at me. Why? Well, I'm afraid if they're mad at me, they won't pay me. Why? Well, I'm afraid if I don't get paid, I'll lose my house. Why? Well, if I'm afraid I'll lose my house, then my family, why? And ultimately it's why I don't want to end up dead in a cardboard box under the freeway. Oh, so you're just afraid of death. When you really unpack it all right. Mm -hmm. So, um, It's really the meaning that people give me is the meaning I'm giving them to then have them shoot it back to me. So Mm. I'm literally giving my power
0: away in a split second. Mm -hmm. I was just having a conversation like this actually with Scott and a couple other people. And I was, I think prior to it, I had said something along the lines of everything that I'm about to say, I don't want it to impact your interaction or your perception, the individual. I think for me, It's become important to acknowledge that because I finally, I guess is the right word to use here, understood the power that influence truly can have. So, for example, if I didn't have the best of interactions with someone and I choose to pass on that experience to you prior to that interaction taking place, it might influence the way that you you interact with the individual before even saying the first word. So if I tell you everything that quote unquote went wrong as in didn't meet my expectations during that conversation, and then you go into that conversation with that built-in dialogue, you know, I call it the New York times bestseller in your head. Yeah. Like everything that could go wrong about that conversation, that's where your attention and focus is going to be. And I found well, that for me, it's like it's difficult to break away from that and and take a step back and say, okay, Scott's perspective is solely Scott's perspective. Like it doesn't have to be my experience. And I've I've encountered this many times where the person would come back to me afterwards and then say, Man, I had a terrible encounter with X, Y, and Z. What was your experience? And I was like, to be honest with you, that was one of the best ones that I've yeah. had. And it's just it's just fascinating to me how once projections truly can influence the meaning as well as the purpose and the intention that you have in a conversation was yeah i'll make one last point
2: you can't unring
0: a bell Mm -hmm. and
2: when you say the cat's out of the bag whatever imagery you want to use and when you say something about someone that's why i try not to do that anymore in my family or around people um but you're you're giving that influence and David R Hawkins, the psychiatrist and doctor, and he's kind of someone who's written a lot about bridging the touchy feely with, with Mm -hmm. science and has kind of helped bridge that gap over the past 30 years. But what he talked about is the, is he calls it cheap little payoffs and the ego loves it. When, when we live in this world of, Oh God, you know, I just had a horrible, I just had a horrible experience with so-and-so and let me tell you about it. It just, mm-hmm. it gets its juice, right? It's just, <laughs>
0: and
2: you know, it's talking smack, whatever you want to say. And and I get it, but, but the reason we do that is to vent, to get it off our chest, but really we're getting energy from it. And I still do it, but I've... I'm doing it a lot, lot less because that's just not the type. It's, it's not the type of fuel I want. It's like, do I want natural, clean resource, uh, uh fuel from, from wind power or solar power, or do I want old school coal that yeah. pollutes the world? And I think that cheap payoff is, is a type of energy that while I do fall prey to it, um, I don't, I don't want to go there anymore for a number of reasons. One of them being what you just said is that you're going to, in many ways, possibly incorrectly, uh, um, influence people
0: yeah Scott Mason what are your thoughts on all this
1: that was some incredible food for thought Casey thank you very (laughs) much for that and and great questioning Oleg so yes you've been asking good questions today (laughs) why why were you even asking that question you know how to ask (laughs) a good question you should be telling us what is a good question (laughs) Um, so, and, and Melody, I, I love you, even if you're an Eminem fan. That's a good song, by the way. <laughs> Lose Yourself? That's probably one that's of those classic. that's going to
0: go down, yeah, yeah, in history for however long. Yeah,
1: right up there with Little Nas, Nas X. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, let me, I'll just say this. I'll step back to the original question. There was so much to unpack in what Casey said. I, I'm mentally overwhelmed by it. I will say that it does, the idea of procrastination being manifested through questions Mm -hmm. is sometimes to me triggered by the, or evidence of that can be found if the question is beginning with what if. In my various uh, counsel roles or advisor roles or compliance related roles, a lot of the functions when you're in those roles in large organizations is to slow it down. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, and there's a good reason for it to be slowed down to make sure that it's thought through to make sure that it, that the whole enterprise doesn't fall prey to fines or lawsuits or those sorts of things that just rushing through with something because one is excited about or because one is having a feeling state or whatever, they might not consider. And the gratification or the needs that appear to, Uh, be required in the moment aren't (laughs) are going to ultimately cause more headache than they're worth Mm -hmm. and so the questions that i would usually ask to trigger that slow down thinking were often begun with the words what if applying that then in a procrastination setting uh, this whole set of conversations and your question in particular oleg what is a relationship of a question to procrastination does really make me think I need to be listening to myself more carefully when the words coming out of my mouth are what if.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is yeah. it a legitimate question? Am I trying to get to what if to really understand, okay, do we fully think through the, have we really thought through the consequences of the transformation that we're about to engage in mm-hmm. Or am I saying, well, what if? Now, Casey, I will answer your question. And I actually, people don't believe me, but it's true. I don't (laughs) fear success. I really don't. You don't what? I don't fear success. Mm. I really don't. I have other concerns in life. Success, being afraid or that I can't live up to it, That, that just isn't me. However, one could easily, if one had that fear, manifest imposter syndrome or fearfulness in action? What if I become famous? Will every bad thing that I ever did come back to haunt me? Right. Will I screw it up? Will I appear on national TV with a booger hanging out of my nose? All of these sorts of things really are procrastinators waiting to, or procrastinations waiting to happen. Now. I got to check my nose now. Yeah, I well, I did do a dress rehearsal of myself giving a speech one time, and there was a booger in it, but at least that was a dress rehearsal. And I've never forgotten to check my nose ever since. <laughs> now we're all touching our nose. Melody, are you touching your nose? If you if you aren't, you should. <laughs> Just make sure you wash your hands. So in any event, that's what I have to say about this. Casey, you threw so much at, at me. I I don't have any question to ask (laughs) what do you say to move the conversation from here?" (laughs) Casey doesn't have to have the last word again for me
2: it's I guess I'll throw a question out why is the fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. so scary whatever your unknown is whether it's success maybe it's Why is the fear of the non-familiar, even if the non-familiar is so great, a million dollars, a great loving relationship, whatever it is, why is the fear of the non-familiar or the fear of the unknown? And that could be a whole sequence answered in 30 seconds or less. But, but
1: that, why is it, why does it paralyze us? We were both predator and prey. Mm. In our Mm. early days. Hmm. We have predator instincts that I believe probably are related. And yes, that was my UPS person right outside ringing. I appreciate everyone's <laughs> patience with that. The We have yeah. the predator instinct that it informs a lot of our behavior. But we also had to protect ourselves from animals yeah. that wanted to eat us, particularly at night when we could not see. And therefore, we're facing the unknown. Yeah. And, and that are also by the way, has something to do with one of the most transformational relationships in the entire history of humanity, which is our relationship with the animal, the common ancestor of wolves and dogs.
0: Yeah. How do we move past that, though? Because we're, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but, like, you know, we're not, we're no longer in the jungle being hunted by tigers and lions and bears. So how, how do we, how do we transition how do you understand a possible transition out of a, a mindset like that,
2: Scott? Are you taking that?
1: All right, Casey, please.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, and that's a good question. Uh, I think that was the question I maybe I meant to ask. Um, so, I think intellectually and consciously, we realize there's no there's no saber tooth tiger walking down our mm-hmm. our asphalt street and sky you nailed it i mean you're absolutely right that's that's sort of the the lizard brain as they call it that's where where it where it comes from um so thank you so much for that and i think consciously we get it that there's no saber tooth tiger we replace the saber tooth tiger with general anxiety with our boss, with that person won't like me with social disapproval. There's a lot of new saber tooth tigers and bears that we, we replace that with. So then you say, okay, I realize my boss is not going to literally come and eat me in the night, but he's, he or she is going to kill me in another way. Fire me, Mm -hmm. shame me, give me a ton of work over the weekend, and, and sort of hurt or kill me in another way. So then mm-hmm. the way I look at it, there, there's two ways that i have trying to do it. One is to change my beliefs and just have a different belief system that he's actually not killing me, he or she, my boss. It's good for me. The universe has my back. This is actually a challenge, but it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Don't get worked up about a challenge. You can do it. And then I wonder if it's deeper than just a belief and it's whether it's my identity. Mm -hmm. Am I the type of person that can handle this? Mm -hmm. Am I the type of person at my core? Because if I'm sleeping around the fire 70,000 years ago, some people got eaten by the saber-toothed tiger and some didn't. And it could have been luck. But also, am I strong enough for this? And not in a zero-sum game strong, but more of, I can do this. I can handle this. And this goes back to the projection. What am I going to project onto that person? That Casey's weak. I told you they don't like me. Oh, I knew this would happen. Or, hey, I got it handled. We'll find a way. I'm going to do this. So for me, I've heard a lot about belief shifting. I wonder if it's even deeper and it's at the identity level of Mm -hmm. who am I. So then you go, well, I'm Casey. You're Oleg. You're Scott. Where all the sages have told us is that you, as you're at, you cannot fix this, which seems helpless, but you is the ego, you is the matrix, you is the separate, we're all together in this. We're all the universe, God, and all that. And so where I've gone from an identity standpoint, ironically, is the best identity I have is realizing the identity I think I have isn't really me. It is when I need to play in this game called life. But I think the most power I get, and I know why born-again people and people who are religious, they have that blind faith. You similarly need kind of blind faith in just energy and power. Um, I don't know if liberal or, or atheists will really connect with this, but you, you find some connection with an energy that is an identity that's other than your own separate sort of dualistic, I'm separate
0: from you, Oleg, identity. Mm-hmm. I just riffed a bit there. Does that, does that make sense? Or is it possible to understand one's identity without having to label? That's a great question, right? Like, the, Oh, okay. So here, so
2: let's go back to, uh, go back to Scott's example. We're around the fire mm-hmm. and we're sitting there. And one way that humans, even Neanderthal humans were different than animals is we had language and we were able to, Instead of just saying there's a saber tooth tiger by the river, be careful, we said, which primates can do, we said, Scott, you do this. Casey, you did that. All of a sudden, we gave ourselves labels, right? It could have been grunts back then, but it was labels, it was a name, it was an identity. And that was great because we can organize, we can herd all of the wildebeest into a canyon, we can make spears, we can kill them. Literally, our big brain is what enabled humans, Neanderthals, to to grow and ultimately homo, homo sapiens to be at the top of the food chain, to Scott's point. But it also made us separate from each other. Yeah. And you're Oleg, you're Scott, I'm Casey. One of us is going to be higher, one of us in the middle, one of us at the end, whether it's money or stature or whatever the case may be and when we had ironically this great beautiful thing language and culture which helped us become who we are also put these labels on us and has separated us Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden we're like oh i'm casey i'm different than scott i'm literally this body and i think that's what we've been trying to get back to is when we say god and one and source and all that is literally to say seventy thousand years ago we created this thing called language and culture it was good, but it also separated us. Let's all realize we're not separate. Wow. So you're right on Oleg about the label. Like that's kind of been our downfall to anxiety in a in a certain way.
1: Yeah.
0: I was just thinking about it recently. I think for me, the way that I understand labels is that sometimes just like you said, they're beneficial, but other times they they can create more confusion when it comes to really being able to get to the core of certain things or meaning I mean th- this whole pursuit of trying to understand who am I, why am I here what am I doing? If that was something that theoretically was given to every person by whoever whatever power, then why are so many, if not all of us to a degree are still actively in pursuit of such, questions. And,
2: you know, part of that, I think at a tactical level is we humans function through language. Mm -hmm. What makes a good question written and verbal. And we think that's a be all end all. I mean, as lawyers, Scott, you know, you wrote a tight agreement and this is it. The final document, we're all in agreement. And yeah. it's still, you could still find gaps in it. You could still sue later on. Section two point <laughs> two is unclear. I interpret it another way. And it's really opened my eyes recently, realizing that language sucks for communication. What I mean by that is the world is vibrational. We're the universe, God, the universe speaks in vibration. I mean, we know the famous example of animals being able to sense an earthquake coming, and we don't. We have no, no sense of it. It didn't say, hey, an earthquake's coming. It's the vibration of it all. There's the vibration of good energy. There's the vibration of Wi-Fi waves and electromagnetic and all of that. And so I think we're actually very poor communicators. and and But we think we're doing a great job with words. Um, if we could only, and this is why meditation and connecting is so huge. If we could only tap in. This is why people do ayahuasca. This is why they do mushrooms because it's, they tap into a vibration that we otherwise can't get when we're sort of at our low state.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So I also think that when it comes to language, there's so much more than just having the ability to communicate in the spoken word. I mean, there's the assumptions, the courage, the confidence, whatever else that also plays a role. I was sharing with the two of you how within some of the other instances in my life where I would hear one person say one thing, but something completely different actually ended up coming from it because they interpreted it differently. So or you projected or I projected and I assumed that, okay, if Casey said he can't do this, but I'm assuming he can do that. So there's just, it's just a really interesting dynamic, like how all of that works and, it it just says that it's so much more complex than just solely the spoken or the written word. Then there's the courage to actually communicate what it is that you believe having the trust that, okay, I'm not going to judge you, but I'm going to accept your remark for what it is. And then there's also, I think maybe a question within that. And that is to what degree, do I really know what it is that I'm trying to mm-hmm. communicate to you? Well, and that, I
2: asked my engineering friend, he's a developer, he creates software years ago. Why do you have Java? Why do you have Ruby on Rails? Why do you have all these engineering languages? Just write it in English yeah. so we can all do it. <laughs> Just, you know, and he said, okay, well Simplified. <laughs> Simplified. Like, what the heck? Why are you doing this? And he said to me, he says, because the English language is inexact. So if you were to write... And this is an engineer. I mean, he's not a philosopher, right? He's not a very touchy-feely guy. But he he knew it before, many years before I even – I just started thinking about this last Tuesday. But he's like, if you want a red button, what are you going to write? And I was like, well, red button. Okay, well, how big? Is it square? Is it rounded edges? What type of red? What what Pantone? What yeah. does it say? You know. And so when you think of these engineering languages, which I don't know, they get to the exactness yeah. that you want. Now, it's difficult to have – a an emotional empathetic conversation talking through java but you get to what you need specifically on the web page or in the app and so i think i mean if our language was so good and focused we wouldn't need a thesaurus why do we need synonyms that's we need synonyms because everyone says it in a different way
0: that's a really good point scott mason what are your thoughts
1: The, there is some ambivalence I have about what Casey has just said, although there's a profound level of consideration that I have to give it. And given the imprecision of language, as well as the time I personally need to process (laughs) <laughs> like Casey just said is going to really limit my response. So let me just put out what my little mind can. First of all, one of the hallmarks of our type of intellect is that it exists within individual bodies and to the best of our ability, at least as we have evolved, is not hive in its nature. I read an interesting discussion once of insect intelligence. Insects, to the best of our knowledge, according to this piece that I read, don't really have individual identities at all. And their intellect, their mind is essentially divvied up into different components that are spread out within the minds of the particular insects. And so you see insects as a group being able to, with the combination of all of these sub-minds coming together as a single mind, act as a single body driven by a single mind in a way that mammals don't. It's entirely possible, though, that the individual nature and the separation that you're talking about is a function of us being mammals, or maybe it's a function of us having some sort of conflict between the earlier versions of our brains and the more highly developed nature of our brains. The theory about vibrations And that we're all connecting, look, I'm not going to argue from what I've read, and I don't pretend to be an expert in this area, there's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. We all do feel the need to have, well, not everyone, I will say, but the overwhelming majority of people almost certainly feel the need for some sort of connection, some sort of touch, whether it is two minds coming together, two bodies coming together two spirits coming together or, or, or some other sort of connection. Those things are all, uh, those things are all necessary. Those are all part of the human experience. Do they represent some sort of overall drive to be part of a collective mind? Or is it just something that we need to provide us with sustenance and nourishment? Then we go back to our own individual growth and development. That's the, unanswered question to me Mm. and so i can respond going back to the theme of this show based on my gut opinion which is admittedly less informed than a lot of people are on this topic but i can also view everything that casey just said as the trigger to a whole other set of transformational questions
0: Mm -hmm. yeah wow Obviously, with great. that said, and just a topic, Casey, go ahead.
2: I was going to say, great. I, I love that point about the insects, you know, how they're able to connect in that way to get one one thing done um, and either probably have their own, obviously, individual minds, but then, but then all come together in a way that seems to be the exception when it comes to humans or, or mammals. So um,
0: I had to look that up. I don't even know what that means. I'm, I'm still sitting here just trying to question yeah. and process like, what, what, what would it mean Insect to not have the same understanding or form of identity that I have? <laughs> I am this, I am that. Not have those things, not be able to identify or have certain affirmations or whatever about who you are as an individual. Like, what is your level of observation of who you are? Become at that
1: point. And part of why that's part of why I am a little bit resistant resistant with respect Mm -hmm. to what Casey is talking about. A fundamental human need is that of self-expression. And self-expression inherently has embedded within it conceptually the idea of an individual identity, as opposed to all of us simply saying. I'm part of this. All one. Well, well, not even having the word I'm. I, and, and it is hard for me to conceptualize what that might look like because it's so outside of my realm of experience, but to simply experience the world as part of something else. So how I put it is that I, I, I think the great
2: sages of the past, Buddha, Jesus, and there's 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 many others. I think St. Thomas Aquinas and and even even pe- people in in the past century, the point is that whether you call it you call it heaven or whether you call it an afterlife, uh, in in Hinduism, this is the idea of karma and continuing on the wheel until you work things out. They call um, the the real world we have here Maya, which means an illusion, and so the idea is that. Ultimately, when you work out your karma, you work out these things. You then leave your body and you connect with the bigger source, right? The white light, and so we as humans say, "Oh no, no, no! I don't want to connect with a white light and be with God and do all of that." This is all the jokes about heaven because, like, I got Mm -hmm. stuff to do here. I mean, Mm -hmm. who's going to watch the news? Who's going to self-express? Who's going to have the drama? Who's going to who's going to go get beers on Thursday and bitch and moan? Mm -hmm. And the point there is why do you want to keep getting beers on Thursday and bitching and moan? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, we want to do it because it's what we know and it's self-expression, whether it's beneficial and, and it's beyond just bitching and moaning. It's like, well, I have things to create. I have art to mm-hmm. create. Got it. It could be good or it could be bad. The point. So then you say, well, I'm not ready to kind of float up to this. I guess this beautiful thing where we're all one, because I'm a human. I like being my identity. I like being different. Mm-hmm. So the way to kind of reconcile that, to have your cake and eat it too, is to continue to be who you are, to wear the clothes you want, have the label, but just have this sort of line to the white light, to the fuzziness, to all the good stuff going, I know this is an illusion. It's a real illusion. It's a dream. We are in a real illusion now. Like You know what I mean? We are real, but it's still projection. And so you kind of have your cake and eat it too. You're in on a little secret where you say, okay, I can express myself. I can do these things. I can wear the clothes, drive the car, spend the money, have the senses, drink the good wine, laugh at the good shows, whatever it is. But I know this is all just kind of a game. Mm -hmm. I know I'm connected to whatever, however you want to say it, it spiritually. Why do we do that? For me, that alleviates my anxiety. That lets me know that that saber-tooth tiger on the asphalt's not a saber-tooth tiger. It's all good. I can handle this. This helps. This has helped me shift my identity because I'm part of something bigger. Now I've gone down that route, but I don't want to give up Casey Berman. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give this up. And maybe when I'm older, I'll say, "Fine, I'm done. Let's go to the light, white, white light." I've, I've 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 used my time on Casey Berman, right? But right now I don't want to, so to to kind of find that balance, I also try to connect to the sixth dimension, if you will. I try to see dead people. I try to whatever phrase you want to use because I'm not ready to give up the senses yet,
0: even Mm -hmm. though I know the senses
2: are just sort of this real illusion.
0: Hmm. Here's a good question for both of you or what I perceive to be a good question, and that is what are some ways that people can connect with you?
2: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, End with with Scott. Uh, LeaveLawBehind.com. I help unhappy attorneys leave the law, write about a lot of transformational change, and um, really help those miserable, unhappy attorneys see that there is a better way. So check me out, LeaveLawBehind.com or Casey at LeaveLawBehind.com.
1: Scott Mason. Reach me at SpeakerScott.com if you are interested in having me as a speaker at your virtual or live event. And go to PurposeHighway.com for my podcast, Scott Mason's Purpose Highway, which explores the stories of entrepreneurs, thinkers, influencers, who have connected to their higher purpose to build a better self and a better world.
0: Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you to the two of you. Thank you to Melody and everyone else that's been a part of it. I think these conversations are the things that really make me think and question many of the things in life. So uh, uh, the topic that we chose to explore as far as what makes a good question really helped me think differently and actually f- helped me think about what I think of good questions and how to continue to ask them. So for anyone that's listening or anyone that was a part of this, thank you for all your insights, all your questions. And as I mentioned earlier, if these conversations have impacted your life by any means, please consider supporting our work by contributing at our website or leaving a review, whichever way that you think you can make a difference and add value to the things that we do in the community that we're trying to build. So thank you, Scott. And thank you, Casey, for being a part of this.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if this show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider making a contribution through our website or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.